Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, Before we look to God's Word, will you join with me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come together today around your holy word, knowing that you are ready to speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would help me to say what you would have me say. Lord, that I would not be swayed or be mindful of what these people are thinking. Lord, uh, but rather that I would be dependent on your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would come now, O Spirit, and touch each heart, prepare each heart, beginning with mine, that we would be ready to hear the voice of the holy God of the universe. God who came in the person of the Lord Jesus, the Lord who will come in splendor and grandeur and judgment in the person of the Lord Jesus. So would you come now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the little Old Testament book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Children, do you know where Habakkuk is? It'll take some time to find it. Habakkuk is called a minor prophet in the canon. But he, the words he wrote a couple thousand years or more ago uh, have played a great role in, in history, including in the Protestant Reformation. Habakkuk, Habakkuk. I hope you, you found it. I want to begin today with a few questions. Have you felt that the Lord has been silent in your life lately? Have you quietly questioned questioned the Lord about the pain you're facing in this season of life? Why does God, why did the Lord allow pain in your life? Why does He not take it away? Have you been uh, wondering if the Lord is working at all in your life? Why can't you perceive it? How come he's working in this way, if he is, in in a counterintuitive, mysterious way, when the events of our lives, our, our, our nation, the world, seem to be in such disarray? Habakkuk, I think, can be a great encouragement And this message comes from my own wrestling through several questions that I've just raised. And I hope that my meditations 
will be a blessing to you. Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk lived in very interesting times. He lived between the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel, who was invaded by Assyria, a powerful nation. He lived between that time and the time of the rise of the Chaldean or Babylonian Empire, very powerful empire. And most scholars believe he lived in the last few decades before the fall of Judah, the southern kingdom. And interestingly, Judah had seen national revival under the king Josiah. You remember Josiah? He was a young king. He introduced reform, national reform, spiritual reform in the southern kingdom of Judah. Sadly, that reform was short-lived, and the nation spiraled down once more into violence, injustice, and forgetting the covenant God of Israel. Habakkuk lived in this time. Sound familiar? Can we relate? Habakkuk also is a very interesting little book. How many chapters are in this little book? Just three, right? Just three small chapters. And by the way, let me warn you, will be my design today is to do a quick trip through the whole book. Okay, so I, I hope to hear a lot of pages turning. Uh, so Habakkuk is a very interesting book. Unlike, so one Old Testament scholar notes that the form of direct dialogue recorded in Habakkuk between a man, a prophet, and God is unusual in the canon. Usually, prophets receive a message from God and announce that to people. You see none of that here in Habakkuk. Habakkuk doesn't proclaim God's message to anybody. It's just an interaction between himself and God. And also another feature of Habakkuk is uh, just the genres that, that are recorded here. There's poetry, there's lament, there's song, there's dialogue, all within three chapters. It's a very neat book to study. So let's start. Verse 1 in your Bibles. Verse 1. The book opens up with these simple words. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That's it. We're not told, uh, like in many portions of Scripture, who Habakkuk's father was, which town he was from, nothing of the sort. We're just told the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And then we'll see here the book is structured in the following way. We'll see Habakkuk complaining to the Lord. 
in the next few verses. Okay? He complains to the Lord about something, we'll see. And then he receives a response from the Lord. Okay? Following the response, he complains again. And following that complaint, he hears again from the Lord. So two complaints, two responses. Chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response to God's revelation to him. It's a song. It's a beautiful, moving song. And probably the most famous verses of Habakkuk, apart from 2.4, chapter 2, verse 4, are at the end of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is Habakkuk's song, his affirmation. And many of you know this probably by heart. He says that though everything around me is discouraging, I will rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so that's a short overview. So let's read the first complaint, Habakkuk's first complaint. Verse 2, the prophet says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. This is Habakkuk's complaint. Do you notice the first few verses, he says, O Lord, how long should I cry to you and you will not answer? How long? So evidently, he's been crying out to the Lord for a while, right? So how long, Lord, how long should I wait for an answer from you? Maybe you feel similarly this morning. And then, verse 3, he says, Why, Lord, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly... And this verse features again in his second complaint, idle, he, he, he thinks, from his perception... God is idle. He seems idle. Why do you idly look at wrong? Why? Why? And he says, so the law is paralyzed, verse 4, and justice never goes forth. He's a prophet, remember? And he's concerned that God's law, the very instrument God gave to create and sustain a beautiful society is paralyzed. And of course, as a prophet, he is deeply moved. He's distraught by this. Why is it, Lord, that you, the instrument that you gave us, the living law, is paralyzed? 
It's impotent. It's not working. And then, did you notice here, verse 3, he says, Why do you make me see iniquity? This is very personal to Habakkuk. Lord, I'm your prophet. I didn't sign up for this. Why aren't my days like the days of Moses? Why aren't my days like the days of David? Why do you make me see pain? Why are you idle? Isn't it a very personal complaint? Can you see, can you feel his pain through this? So that's the end of the complaint. Now listen to this. Verse 5 is the beginning of the Lord's answer. The Lord says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Sometimes I wonder if the Lord doesn't reveal his purposes to us because we would, <laughs> we would not believe them if we were told. And then the Lord says, For behold, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. In other words, they define what is justice and dignity. And it's crooked. But they are, they feel so empowered that they define the rules. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their their horses are swifter than leopards. I'm in verse 8. More fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen proudly press on. And he goes on. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. And then verse 11. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. After their violence, after their conquests, they sweep by like the wind. They go on, guilty men whose might is their God. Guilty men whose might is their God. We were reading Habakkuk in our family devotions in preparation for this and reading uh, through chapter 1. Uh, I can't remember if it was Priya or Sarala, our youngest daughter. One of them said, Daddy, I can see it in my mind. The imaginative language of horses and faces forward and eagles. Scripture is so beautiful. Uh, and interestingly, most of Scripture, most of Scripture 65 to 70% of Scripture is narratival. And I think there's a reason that the Lord recorded Scripture in this way. So that's the end. What's the gist of the Lord's answer? The Lord's saying, Habakkuk, I have a purpose. And my purpose 
is hard to perceive. It's hard even for you who are among the faithful. It's hard even for you to perceive my purposes. Verse 12. This is the prophet's second lament or complaint. And he says, verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. We shall not die. Here he is affirming God's covenant relationship with Israel, with the faithful remnant. We shall not die. And then he perceives God's reason. Right? He says, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. He understands it. Right? He gets it. That the Chaldeans are God's instrument for judgment for justice upon Judea or Judah, right? He understands that. But then he launches into a perplexing question. He says, verse 13, You, that's the Lord, who are of purer eyes than than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? This is the crux of his second complaint, his question. Lord, I I, I understand that you are raising up this unbelieving pagan nation as a judgment for our sin. I I, I understand that, Lord. But I have a question. (laughs) How is it that you, who are so pure, but you don't see, you don't condone sin, iniquity, violence, how is it that you look seemingly idly when... A a nation that's more wicked than we are comes and ravages us. Isn't that a good question? Isn't it a legitimate question? The prophet is, is troubled by this. And then he says, you make mankind, verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, He brings, he meaning the wicked one. This is a personification of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonian Empire. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out of his net, just like like a fisherman. And he says, therefore, the wicked person, persons, this nation, they sacrifice to their net. Verse 16. They make offerings, uh, and, and, and they live in luxury. And then, verse 17, he asks the Lord again, is he then to keep on emptying his net, goes from one nation to another nation, violently, 
unjustly. The Chaldeans were known for their horrific war crimes. They would put hooks in, in, in the lower lip and, 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 and uh, take people single file back to, uh, in, in exile. And so he's asking, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? O. Palmer Robertson is, a, is, is, is an Old Testament scholar, and he's written on uh, Habakkuk. And, and this scholar says that Habakkuk seems very emboldened here in his questioning. Did you notice here, he's accusing, directly or indirectly, he's accusing the Lord of making mankind like sea creatures, like fish. He says here, verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. Really? And then he says, Lord, you are of purer eyes than evil, uh, than, than to see evil. Why do you idly look? Why are you idle? And Habakkuk knows that he has, he has been very uh, bold in his questioning. And so he says here, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, that's the Lord, will say to me what, and what I will answer con, uh, concerning my complaint. And scholars say here, Habakkuk is bracing himself. Perhaps he was too bold in his questioning. Remember Job? Job had questioned, and the Lord gave a powerful rebuke to Job. And perhaps Habakkuk here is, is, is bracing himself. The Lord is going to respond harshly, perhaps. So he says, I will look out, I will see, and then I will prepare my answers to my complaint. Also, Hebrew scholars tell us that this word here in verse 1 for complaint is actually a stronger word. It's, it's perhaps more literally translated rebuke. So he's saying, I've, I've taken upon myself to, 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 to rebuke the Lord, and so I'm, I'm going to brace myself and see what, what he will answer. And what the Lord's answer here has served us for generations, for generations. These are beautiful words, brothers and sisters, words that can help us in our times of need, in today's times. The Lord answered, verse 2 of chapter 2, He says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. And the Lord says, Listen, the vision awaits at its appointed time, even if it's slow. Wait for it. It will pass. It will come to fruition. It will delay. This is, this is for me, I'm a student of, of writing. 
Uh, and, and this is one of the few times the Lord explicitly, explicitly tells a prophet to write. He says, write it. And then the substance of the Lord's answer in verse 4. This is the substance of the Lord's answer. He says, Behold, his soul. Whose soul? The wicked person. His soul. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright. It's not straight. It's not, it's puffed up. It's conceited. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. So here the Lord is contrasting two kinds of people, right? Just two kinds of people. Those who are righteous before God, those who are justified before God, and those who are not. And the Lord characterizes those who are not justified righteous before God, their souls are not upright. Their souls are puffed up, disfigured, as it were. Now here, if you listen carefully, what is the end of the righteous people, of the just, according to the Lord? Look at it. The righteous, the Lord says, will live by faith. The righteous will live. Habakkuk is concerned about death, about judgment. And for him, as one of God's chosen, Lord, how do I live among in, in this generation, in these times? Why did you place me? In these times. And the Lord says, Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. In contrast, what about the unrighteous? They will not. That's how the structure of the Hebrew is. The righteous will live by faith. The unrighteous will not. Will not. And then the Lord says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who's never at rest. The greedy, the violent will keep doing their violent acts, but they won't pass unnoticed by the king of the universe. And then, and then, this, this is a very neat part. The next in the next portion of, of the scriptures, from verse 6 onwards to the end of the chapter, there are five woes pronounced on Babylon. And the Lord's telling Habakkuk, Habakkuk, yes, it's true that they are my instrument. It's true that they will ravage Judah. And it's true that even through all of this, my people... The righteous will live by faith. But here I'm going to disclose to you the end of the Babylonian kingdom and their ways. And there are five taunts, five woes. And one scholar 
translates each of these woes with the word ha, exclamation point. A taunt, a woe, ridiculing these people. Why? Why does he ridicule these people? Listen here. The first woe, this is starting in verse 9, is, is because these people are pillagers. They loot with violence. And the Lord says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And he says, verse 7, Will your debtors not suddenly arise? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples, the peoples, everyone whom you plundered will rise up. And you'll be on the receiving end. Get ready. Ha ha. The Lord. The Lord's words. And then the second woe is because these people exploit. Exploit the weak. The oppressed. The widow. The foreigner. The stranger in the land. They are known for exploitation. And uh, the prophet says here, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. He wants to have a nice house, rich food, and he's plotting all the time. How do I make my house big, make my kingdom big through exploitation? And the Lord says, Really? That's your design. The wood in your houses, the stones will scream, right? He says, verse 10, you have devised shame for your house. You think you're devising honor in an honor-shame culture. You think you're devising honor. Ha! You're devising shame. And he says, verse 11, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. It is... It is uniquely terrifying when nature itself is against you, is it not? And he's saying here, even the stones that your fortresses are built of, and the wood in your houses, disdain your inhabitants. Verse 12 begins another taunt. And this taunt is for a culture that builds itself on the foundation of bloodshed, exploitation, and violence. He says, verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. And Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at this. He says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire? People are working hard, driving down the highway, spending sleepless nights. And he says, Peoples labor merely for fire, for destruction, and nations 
Powerful nations weary themselves for nothing. And the prophet says, it's actually from the Lord that peoples do this. And he says here, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, at first reading, this seems dissonant. Does it to you? He, he, he tells this, he pronounces this woe, and then he says, for, and you expect an action that the Babylonians did, right? But instead, he says, for, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as real as the waters cover the sea. In other words, the Lord's purpose will stand. The Lord has purposed that the earth one day, brothers and sisters, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We haven't seen it yet. Don't you long for it? Yes or no? Yes. The earth will be, it's going to happen because of that fact. Your devices, your plotting will fail. You know, as I was reading this, uh, there was one scholar, Robertson, in fact, who laid out the Hebrew. He, he tried to transliterate it in, in English. He had all these charts. He wanted, I think his design was to show the reader just how beautiful the poetry is. Uh, and, and as I was reading it, I felt bad for the guy. Because, have you ever tried to explain poetry in another language to someone? I try it, and it's a point of conflict in my marriage. My favorite language is Urdu. Beautiful language, a mix of Indian and Middle Eastern, so beautiful. And sometimes Rachel and I will be watching uh, an Urdu poetry, and she'll ask me, what does it mean? <laughs> and it's so hard to explain. It's so hard to explain poetry. And, and the the, the, the scholar here, I felt bad for him. But the poetry is beautiful. And the substance is beautiful. And then last, actually there are two, two more woes. The next woe is for debauchery. Sexual, sensual pleasure. This is what the people would do. Make their neighbors drunk. And the prophet says here, verse 15, in order to gaze at their nakedness, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. God will repay you for your debauchery. And then last, the apex of all the woes is idolatry. Have you noticed time and again, 
in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, the prophets, the scriptures diagnose the human condition as idolatrous. I think many Westerners miss the point. They think that uh, other cultures that, that, that worship, that still might worship idols, that they are somewhat primitive, feeble-minded, uneducated, unsophisticated. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. The point is you are an idolater. Right? Our hearts are, have, are, are uniquely, wasn't it John Calvin who said the human heart is an idol factory? Right? We make our own idols, whether it's success, whether it's peer recognition, whether it's family. Can I say this? Whether it's family, whether it's ministry, we make, we erect our own idols and they enslave us. Right? Nobody is like the Lord. The gentle Lord who doesn't, he's not a slave master. But here the prophet diagnoses their condition as rooted in idolatry. You remember he said earlier, their greed is their God. And he says here, look at this. He taunts the helplessness of these idols. And he says, verse 19, can this, can the idol teach? That's interesting, isn't it? A unique feature of our God is that he teaches. Do you listen? And he says, verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know, we learn best when we are silent. Am I correct? We learn best when we're silent. And the Lord says to Habakkuk, shh, listen, calm down, come and listen. I'm here. I know I have your back. I have a purpose. In response, the prophet prays a magnificent prayer. And in his prayer, it's beautiful. It's apocalyptic. It's cataclysmic. In his prayer of worship, he uses imagery from Exodus. And he also uses imagery from nature. As he sees, as he sees the Lord coming in power for the salvation of his people. We don't have time to go through it, but it is a moving, moving tribute to the glory of the Lord. And at the end, he says here, even in, even here, he's talking to the Lord. He says, verse 8 of chapter 3, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? or your indignation against the sea. And he says here, the reason the Lord comes in this sort of cataclysmic fashion, he says, verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people 
for the salvation of your anointed. That's you. That's me. As his children, God is ready to go to war for us. Do you feel it? Do you feel the affirmation that the prophet must have felt? But then, he's trembling at the end. Verse 16, verse 16, look at what happens to the prophet. He hears, he says, he hears what the Lord is saying. He sees the vision and he says, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He is scared. He looks at all of this and he's saying, Whoa, I am scared at the judgment that is to come. The same happened to Daniel. And to many other prophets, they were undone when they saw the glory, the purpose of the Lord. And then he rejoices. Shall we read these verses 17 through 19? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold. Verse 18, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Isn't this a beautiful book? I have enjoyed going through this. And in closing, I want to share a few lessons that I learned. Okay? The first... The first, bringing our pain before the Lord opens the door for God's comfort and transformation. Did Habakkuk bring his pain before the Lord? He did, right? He did. He brought his pain before the Lord. Many of us are hesitant to do that. We go numb ourselves on the TV or with news or sports, or many other things, Habakkuk brought his complaint before the Lord. Tim Keller says that Habakkuk does what many religious people will not do. Be honest with the Lord. Many religious people will not do that. Be raw and open with the Lord. And he says, Habakkuk also does what many secular people will not do. That is, even come to the Lord. They they don't believe that God is powerful and in control. Let's be like Habakkuk and open the door for God's comfort. It's when we come to the Lord with pain, with lamenting, that His grace can comfort us. Let's do that, brothers, sisters. Number two, God's work is often mysterious, counterintuitive, And he works in ways that you might not expect. India's most famous Christian evangelist was a Sikh man whose name was Bhakt Singh. He studied in uh, the UK. This was in the 1920s. 
And then he came to Canada, got another engineering degree. Uh, and in Canada, as an international student, he was taken in by a Christian couple. Their names were John and Edith Hayward. Here was this new follower of Jesus. And Bhat Singh, as an Indian man, his ways were different. But John and Edith Hayward ministered to him. In fact, Edith wanted to be a missionary to India. But those dreams never were brought to life. She married, she had children, and the dream of going to India never happened. But when God opened the door for them to house Bhaktsing for three years, he saw through this couple and their family Christian life in action. He went back to India and became a powerful uh, Christian pastor. So much so, I was at his uh, funeral service. It said that close to half a million people attended his funeral all across the world because of the unexpected way God worked in Edith Hayward's life. Are you seeing, are you perceiving God's ways? God's purposes are bigger than you think, right? Here, the prophet must not have anticipated God using unbelieving nations, but he did. God's purposes are bigger than you think. And then finally, the just shall live by faith today. Brother, sister, maybe you're living on past faith. Maybe you're living on faith that was made at age 16. No, the just shall live by today's faith. Do you have faith today in the good promises of God? And finally, for those here who might not know the Christian gospel, you know, you saw at the end Habakkuk was terrified at judgment. Friend, there was another man, just like Habakkuk, who was terrified of judgment. And his name was Jesus. In the garden, as we saw, as we sang, Jesus was terrified of judgment. His sweat became blood. For you, he received God's judgment. Unlike Habakkuk, he died for mankind. And through Jesus, we can live by faith. Because when we watch the cross, we know that God is for us. He's not against us. That God works for our good. And his purposes will stand. Shall we pray? O oh Lord, I pray that you would cause faith to rise in us. In Jesus' name, amen.